Amen. Well, uh, it's my privilege to be here, uh, continue to work through uh, the core values uh, of our church. We've been walking our way through this, and um, I think that at the center of it, the core message is uh, very, very powerful in that once the gospel, uh, which is what as a church we stand on, has worked its way into your personal life and has transformed you, it isn't just about you. It doesn't just change you. It changes everything. It moves outward from your heart out into the world. Uh, it touches the people and everything you see around you. So uh, last week, Pastor Luke got us started uh, in talking about the value of gospel uh, community. And for today, um, hopefully this thing works here. Um, there you go. Um, I want to start off by saying that uh, gospel community is marked by three things. It's the pursuit of holiness, uh, accountability, and truth-telling. Okay, now these aren't my three outline points, uh, so uh, stay with me here. This is just uh, an intro. Um, so uh, we're encouraged to be a community of grace where we uh, no longer feel the need to hide, uh, minimize our sin, or to run away from each other, but we see each other as fellow sin strugglers because we all need forgiveness and mercy from the same God. And that's why we're called, as the younger generation typically says, let's be real with each other. Right? Have you heard people say, you know, let, let me be real with you. Let's for real. I, let, let, we just be real with me. Let me get, get me a for real shake at Wawa. I don't know. All these things. It's just trying to be real. And that's a great place to start. But it's not enough. Uh, because let's be honest, if we're really, really real, um, it's not very, very pleasant. We're lazy, critical, fearful, uh, angry, prideful, rude in every way. And if we let ourselves go, our true colors fly, then uh, there'll be a lot of buildings burning outside in the world, a lot, of, um, lot more violence, a lot more ugliness uh, in what we see around us. Uh, but though it is a big step for us to acknowledge that, there needs to be growth change and progress as far as who we really are. The real us needs to become more like Christ. All right, Kevin DeYoung in his book, A Hole in Our Holiness, uh, says something very meaningful here. It says, when people say relax, quit trying to be something you're not and be the real you, they are stumbling upon something very biblical. God does want you to be the real you. He does want you to be true to yourself, but the you he's talking about is the you that you are by grace and not by nature. God doesn't say relax, you were born this way, but he does say good news, you were reborn another way. So who you are at the core, let God by his sanctifying work and the teaching of his word and his power in your life bring you closer to who you were always meant to be. And we learn that if you read that book that because we were born again in Christ, we are one with him. We belong to him. And we are to strive towards godly living growth and holiness, not because we're scared of him or scared of judgment, because we are confident in the gospel that we already do belong to him, so that should be an essential part of our lives. So that all leads to what I want to say about community uh, today, um, that pursuing holiness, uh, actually we pray this in our confession prayer, it's a community project. It's something we do together by speaking the truth to one another, holding each other accountable, and when we do that, when we're able to do that well, it's one of the biggest proofs, the biggest ways we can uh, understand how the gospel has impacted our lives. I think this is relevant for all of us, right? Um, I, I can speak for Renewal in West Philly, I'm sure, uh, for all of us sitting here today as well, is that community is a pretty big deal for us. So much of our experience of church, our spiritual life, takes place in the context of a group of people, right? Um, 
Community has been probably some of the source of the greatest blessings for us. Uh, I know a lot of lives have changed. We've made wonderful friends, brothers and sisters throughout the way. We've made great memories. We've received prayer and help in some of our darkest times of need. But if we're honest at the same time, community has been a source of frustration, perhaps in stress as well. There have been mistakes, misunderstanding, you know, regrets, broken, strained relationships, uh, resentment, uh, disillusionment, uh, maybe even spiritual backsliding in some of the worst possible scenarios. And this is not what we want the experience to be. It's not what it was meant to be. God has so much more, but it requires the right mindset. It requires the right focus and attitude towards what community is really, really all about. And that's why we need to bring this up over and over again and not forget what our focus should be on. And today, I just kind of want to bring us back to that, that as we uh, uh, stress this core value of gospel community and focus on the very practical aspect of speaking the truth, building each other up through edifying uh, accountability by lovingly exposing and pointing out the sin that's leading others astray, that this is ultimately what the gospel did for us. We're simply expressing that. We're living in it. And we're becoming the church that God has always destined to be. So as I go through this, just think about it. Do you have accountability in your life? Is there truth-telling going on? And are you growing as a result? So keep that in your mind and heart as we grow through this. Um, Three sections uh, for this today, truth-telling and accountability. Why it's important, number one. Number two, why it's difficult. Uh, Number three, uh, how we can biblically approach this, practically Uh, do this in a way that honors God and truly uh, helps others. Number one, why it's important. Uh, John Orberg, in one of his uh, sermons on this topic, he painted two scenarios for us. He says, uh, imagine picking up your car from the shop after a routine tune-up and the technician says to you, your car is in great shape. Clearly, you have an automotive genius. You know what you're doing to take great care of your car. Later that day, the brakes fail because you were out of brake fluid. Uh, you avoid a very, narrowly avoid a very, what could have been a very, very serious accident. You go back the next day. You confront that technician. You say, why didn't you tell me? And he responds, well, I didn't want to make you feel bad. Plus, to be honest, I was afraid you'd get upset with me. I want this to be a safe place where everyone feels loved and accepted. How would you respond? Uh, perhaps you'd be furious. you say, listen, I didn't come here for a little ego boost that's fantasy-based. When it comes to my car, I want the truth. Tell me the truth. Or imagine going to the doctor's office for a physical examination and a checkup. The doctor uh, says to you, you are a magnificent physical specimen. You have the body of an Olympic champion. Like, thank you. It's hard work, but I try, you know. Later that day, while carrying a bag of groceries up the stairs, you start breathing very heavy. Uh, Later find out that your bloodstream isn't flowing very well. You're one bad meal away from serious heart failure. You go back to the doctor and say, why didn't you tell me? The doctor says, well, I knew. I knew you're in bad shape, worse than a Pillsbury Doughboy. You know, but if I tell people stuff like that, it's not good for business. They get offended. they, They don't come back. We can't have that. This is a place where everyone needs to feel loved and accepted. You'd be furious, right? As I listen to you, right? This is my livelihood. This is my body. This is my health. When it comes to all those things, I want the truth. 
We need people to tell us the truth because there's so much more than our cars or our physical health at stake. We have a sin problem, and we don't know how bad it really is. We don't see inside of ourselves perhaps the way other people do. Hearing the truth is like an anchor that keeps us from spiritually drifting away, and that's what the community is all for. We need one another for that purpose, and we need to remind ourselves all the time, why do we get together in the first place? Why do we clog our calendar and schedule with all these community group meetings? I look at, meet up with some of our leaders, and it's like everything on their calendar is CG this, CG that, lunch, dinner, breakfast, meeting, prayer meeting, uh, birthday thing, and it's just everything is filled. Why is that? Why do we make such a big deal out of that? Well, lately I was, uh, read an old article I read in, in seminary, uh, Why Small Groups uh, by uh, C.J. Mahaney, and just reminded of what uh, community is all about, purpose of community groups. Uh, and something we can remember, celebrating the God's work of grace in each other's lives. We're here to share our lives with each other, to become more like Christ, not just sit around. We're here to study the word, share the truths of God's, worth with, God's word with one another, and especially reminding each other of the truths of the gospel we forget. But these final two remind us that it's very, very practical. It needs to make a real difference. We need to invite others to correct our thinking, because our thinking can sometimes be incorrect from the Bible and we need to confess our sins to each other and pursue repentance in order to become more like Christ so that's the aim anytime we come together we gather in this room we meet with one another we have to walk away with the aim of thinking I want to grow in Christ I want my brothers and sisters to grow in Christ as well the purpose is gospel community life change Life transformation. We can't stay the way we are, spending all this time hanging out in fellowship with brothers and sisters because we are not yet who we're supposed to be. And God is the one perfecting us, sanctifying us, making us holy as he is holy. As a reminder, to be holy literally means to be set apart, set apart from all that's unholy, to be different, to be wholly devoted to him. In the Old Testament times, Uh, If you would look inside the tabernacle or the temple, there were items that were consecrated, reserved for God's holy purposes. They were not to be touched or defiled in any way. And that is just a picture of what God's church, God's people are called to be, to be a witness to this world. That's what we should be striving for, the renewal of God's image in us, a clean conscience, knowing what's right and wrong, obedience to his word, and displaying the very virtues of Christ. And how does all this develop? It's when we're together. I mean, a big part of it happens, yes, in our personal spiritual life. Yes, that's very important. We need a prayer life. We need a private devotional life where a lot of that just exists between us and God. But sadly, it's not enough. It won't bring us far enough. I wish it would. That's all I would do. It's a lot easier. But the Bible tells us otherwise. When the people of God come together in community our spiritual growth is taken much further. We see ourselves a lot more clearly. The community is like a mirror where we receive feedback on how we're living. We allow others to question what we do. We offer and receive loving correction so we can grow. But sadly, this is something we easily forget. And this is, uh, doesn't always feel like this, right? That, uh, article the uh, the writer quotes not every community is intent on this purpose some put a higher priority on socializing than on sanctification others excel in open sharing and sympathetic listening 
Yet they never confront sin or challenge members to change. This is unacceptable. A group with an unbiblical focus can do more harm than good. Groups that meet without the biblical purpose of pursuing character development have the tendency, listen, to reinforce rather than confront the sin. Is that not true of us? The selfishness already present in us. None of us needs such reinforcement. Instead, we need to be provoked. Right? None of us like to be provoked, but we need it. Right? We need provocation. We need challenge by others so we can change for the glory of God. We need to welcome it. We need to embrace it, as difficult as it is. And we'll talk about why it's difficult and how we can overcome that. So let's allow these words for a few minutes to be a wake-up call for us. When you think about your church community here at Mainline, do you have these purposes in mind? Why do you go out of your way to spend so much time with your brothers and sisters in the Lord? And if not, if you've forgotten, could it be that this might be why? That there are more days of frustration than true spiritual joy. Because we've lost sight of what the ultimate aim should be. So let's give careful thought to that today. We prayed through this earlier that Christian life is not just individual personal growth. I know that's what it tends to be like for a lot of us. Let me come to church. I just want to be by myself today. It's all about what I learned, what I'm getting out of it, and how I'm growing. But even just the uh, word of assurance we read today, we were reminded, and last time I read 1 Peter 2, is that we are to grow as a community. We're not just a group of individuals called set apart as a treasured possession. We are a holy nation. We're a people set apart for the purposes of God. Do you care how your brothers and sisters are doing spiritually or not? Do you care if you're growing together? You may care if you are doing well or if you're overcoming your struggles, but look around you. Does it matter to you that as a church you're taking steps towards God together? Are you one in heart in, the, in that sense? Are you, are you, uh, are you joining hands uh, are you linked together in your collective spiritual growth? That is why we must care for each other. Um, we probably heard 1 John 1, 7. Uh, in light of the uh, word we heard about the importance of community and fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And I think this is a good biblical basis of looking at community that way. I often think about that, and I always have to remind even our students at West Philly, what's the difference between true spiritual Christ-centered fellowship and just hanging around and messing around and wasting time? You know? Your fellowship with each other can involve a lot of things, a lot of eating, eating lunch, eating a second lunch, eating dinner, eating late in the night, and then thinking about what you're going to eat the next day. That, that can be part of fellowship, playing football, watching football together. Thank God that we can enjoy those fun things in fellowship together, right? Uh, late night karaoke, for whatever reason you would do that, losing your voice, not being able to sing at church the next day. <laughs> All those things are good starting points. Those are context, but they're not the, the substance. It's not the heart of what fellowship is. This verse tells us that true fellowship means walking in the light together as he is in the light. Meaning, if you're going to spend time with your brothers and sisters doing anything, it needs to point back to the fact that you are together as one, saved people of God, and you're walking in the light with God forever. If you're not walking in the light, that's not real fellowship. 
In fact, we might be more reinforcing sin and unbiblical behavior, and we might take that risk. But you know that you spent your time with other Christians in true fellowship, when you're refreshed spiritually, when you have a good idea of where they are in their relationship with God, and they know that about you as well. You feel mutually encouraged to keep living your life faithfully for God, and there is a greater awareness of his presence when you get together. Now, that would probably limit some of the things we call fellowship, because not all fellowship activities encourage that. But there are ways when we get together where you walk out of there saying, I was in the presence of God with my brothers and sisters. And if this isn't happening, then we need to take a step back and reassess. What are we doing in community? Are we truly, truly building each other up? Are we pursuing holiness together? Yes, there must be something distinct about the way we hang out. And we can only have true fellowship with other Christians When we engage with people outside of the church, it's much different. We have a much different purpose. So that's what it's all about, life transformation. Do you have accountability in your life for this purpose? And just to remind us of what accountability is, opening up your life to a few trusted individual confidants who you you allow to speak the truth. You give the right permission to examine, to question, approve, or disapprove, and give counsel, biblical counsel to you. There are a couple of examples of this in Scripture. Um, King David in the Old Testament. We know, a lot of us know uh, what happened in his life. Uh, He fell into sin in the twilight years of his reign uh, on the throne of Israel. We see that at least David had accountability. The prophet Nathan, a beloved friend, uh, loved him enough uh, after some time uh, to point out that sin. And though David was not free from the consequences of what he had done, uh, he ended up living the uh, last chapter of his life as a broken, beat-up man in sadness and regret. But yet, because his sin was pointed out, because he was held accountable, he still sought the salvation of his God. He prayed, take not your salvation from me, and there was redemption. He still remembered uh, as a man after God's own heart, leading to ultimately uh, the king of kings who would come and sit on the throne uh, of Israel in our hearts forever. Now his son Solomon, on the other hand, did not have such accountability. In fact, his sins were more abundant and widespread, the way he gave himself uh, to vast adultery, idolatry. And we see that for him, the consequences were a lot more destructive, as it not just affected him, but his entire people, uh, leading to a split nation, judgment, and exile. And we can only speculate, but what might have been different if he had someone uh, to point him back to the truth? Later in reflection, Solomon would write these very words, you know, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Perhaps thinking about the situation in mind because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And friends, that's a simple question for you all and myself here today. Is there someone to lift you up in your life? Uh, Because we all fall, and we're too weak and frail. Many of the times we fall to pick ourselves up, and we need people to help us. So we see the importance of that 
uh, the community that speaks the truth. But it's not easy, not easy at all. So let's talk a little bit about why it's difficult to do this. You know, uh, it, the Bible tells us, and we, um, this is part of our confession today as well, that we are to speak the truth in love. And when we read that phrase, speaking the truth in love, it requires love. In a lot of days, we lack the love uh, to engage our community in this way. And that's something we need to check all the time. Are you in this community because of what you're getting out of it, or, do you, or because you truly love your brothers and sisters? And you'll never tell the truth to anyone unless you have a deep love. It's not a casual love. It has to be a selfless, caring love, a parent's love for their child that will compel you to do these difficult things. It's impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit producing this fruit in our lives. Another reason might be fear. Fear. Fear is what keeps us from diving into community in the first place. The fear of man. Fear of losing others' approval and love. Broaching a topic such as someone else's flaws and sin issues. Maybe you've never had a conversation that serious with these particular people in your life. And it may have all been going well, fun, and last. You don't want to mess with that. You don't want to ruin that. You may feel this way with your closest friends. Uh, maybe with your husband, your wife, your children. Uh, things have been going well, so much fun lately. Uh, that Why ruin it? Why ruin it? This is, this is such a, a precious season. Why, why mess that up? And you may rationalize it by telling yourself, maybe it's not such a big deal. Let's just not hurt anybody right now. A lot of parents feel this way about their children. You want to be their hero, not their enemy. You don't want them slamming doors, throwing fits. You don't like the silent treatment. You know, food being thrown everywhere, all that. So it's not just worth the trouble uh, to bring that kind of hostility into your home. You know? Uh, I know as a pastor, I don't want people mad at me. I hate that feeling. I, well, it's kind of gone away through the years. <laughs> but, um, there are days I care, there are days I don't. i got to be honest. But uh, we need to all recognize that we can't let fear get in the way of our community's growth. You know? Or how about when someone needs to bring up the truth to you? You know it's coming, right? We all have friends, especially if it happens by text or email. It's kind of, it's a little rough when you have friends who, you know, when you're communicating, they're always uh, accentuating their communication with punctuation and emojis and all the time, and it's all fun. But you get a text that says, we need to talk, and there's nothing. You're like, oh, shoot, this is bad, you know? Should I block him or hide or do something? And, um, and the choice for yours is right there. It's... Uh, if you're really living in that sin and the sensitivity to realize what's going on, will you face the music or does your fear overtake you uh, so that you're tempted and led to hide? What we can't forget is that what we should fear more is a consequence of continuing to live in sin, which is worse. And realize that this temporary hassle of having to talk through and deal with uh, what in so many ways is causing spiritual barriers, uh, unnecessary weights and burdens. All these things are minor in comparison where we could end up if sin is never addressed. If we allow the hooks of sin to continue to ruin, uh, squeeze this life out of us spiritually. And I know that uh, it's difficult to deal with uh, unpleasant situations ugly situations, but, uh, and I know at, uh, at our congregation um, in the city, it's just 
hard when uh, you have to bring that into a community that we want to be fun, we want to be loving, but sometimes we have to cross that line and we have to deal with the unpleasantness of talking through things like this. But uh, the reason we might run away from that is because sometimes we see, fail to see that it's sin that causes those unpleasant situations in the first place, right? Instead of trying to, sh- to cover it up, put a Band-Aid on it by just ignoring and trying to change the subject and, and do fun things, we can't forget that sin, the sin underneath needs to be uprooted, and that takes time and hard work. And we do it, we ignore it to our own peril. It's true of community groups. It's true of marriages and families and friendships where if we ignore what needs to be dealt with, it can ruin it in the long term. And it's a scary proposition and something that we need to really, really bring to the Lord for courage and grace to address. But it also requires humbly asking God for the tenacity and the strength to hang in there. And even when it gets uncomfortable to sit across the table from someone you love and have to deal with them being upset or you being upset at them, that in those moments, God calls us to remain, remain tough, to hang in there and not run away. And God provides everything we need because he works through it. Another reason is that terrible feeling when you feel like you're being judged. And I don't know what that feels like, to walk into a room and feel unworthy of being there. And even if it's all done in love, we feel like we're under attack. We need to fight back. Why are you saying these things to me? Who are you to judge me? You're not perfect yourself. And those words always hit home and they hurt because we know it's true. We're not perfect. And why, why do I feel like I should be the one to say these things when I have a lot of issues myself? I look in the mirror and I'm not worthy to be the one to sit on a high moral ground and try to correct somebody. But God gives us grace we can't forget what the gospel does to intervene and make good of situations like that he is a god of redemption he loves imperfect sinners like you and me both of us sitting there have you ever heard anyone say you know when you said those things to me when you brought up the truth i was originally upset but eventually i got over it and i'm so happy you did I learned from it, I grew through it, and I trust you more now that you won't hide anything from me. And I appreciate you as a friend more than ever. That's what needs to happen more in our community. We can't be scared. Some people call it the surgeon's incision, loving words that initially hurt, but they eventually heal. It requires a lot of love and humility to do that. One more thing uh, underneath this section here is maybe have you lost the desire to grow at all? Uh, Do you want to improve spiritually? Uh, And is that why you're coming to church and in your community? And especially if you're getting older, you know, I realize I have to ask myself this a lot in moments in the quietness of my own heart. Do I feel like my best years of spiritual growth are behind me? And these are years to just kind of coast and tell other people to grow and other people to change. No. Do you want to keep growing? Jesus asked this to the invalid by the pool in uh, John chapter 5. Obvious question. No brainer. Do you want to be healed? But he needs to hear him say it. He needs to confess, yes, I want to be different. I don't want to be 
in this state of paralysis any longer. I want to come out of it. And in a sense, that was a statement of faith, allowing Jesus to bring that healing. And every so often for myself, it's like, it's been a while. It's been a while since I can look at a stretch in a season of my life where a lot of spiritual growth was taking place. And if not, I can really point that to a lot of things, perhaps a lack of prayer, a lack of hunger for God, but um, a lack of interaction with community where I'm learning about myself uh, through the feedback of my friends, the loving people around me. And that's where we need to open our hearts and stop pushing it away. If you've ever been an intern anywhere, a firm, a company, you know that as you're learning, you want to improve, you want to stay long-term, you better open yourself up to some scrutiny and feedback correction. Otherwise, if you don't learn through it, you might not be there very long. Would it make sense for us who are nowhere near perfect in our spiritual lives, who constantly backslide? When we get out of line, we need people to help bring us back in line. We can't go off and go our own way and do our own thing, hurting ourselves and others. The love of God uh, through the physical presence of the community uh, is what is a powerful instrument in his hands uh, to teach us the right way. We must humble ourselves. How? How do we let go of this fear? How do we overcome the pride that that keeps us from wanting to speak and receive the truth. And we can't hear this enough. It's by looking at the gospel in Jesus Christ who was punished on the cross on our behalf so that we never, ever, ever have to be afraid for anything. We see the love of God was perfect in our Savior. He preached a message of love, but he was never accepting of evil sin and pride. He spoke out against it. He spoke the truth in love, and he came to eradicate and destroy evil forever. But the way he did it was by lovingly dying, laying down his life. And if we ever, ever doubt that that's what Jesus represented, we just have to look at the cross. If people ever, ever misunderstand Christianity, we know that people misrepresent what the gospel is all the time. Only way to clear the air is say, look, the Jesus who inspires Christianity in all of us, he wasn't like that. He hung on a cross in shame so that we would never have to die. And that was an act of love that will never, ever be matched, but a love that is ours in full. If you're not a Christian here today, maybe um, through this teaching, you can't help but to uh, relive or feel some trauma from past events, bad Uh, communities, broken communities that you probably grew up in where people didn't care about each other, uh, people tore each other down, either that or maybe you grew up in a community where people, not necessarily that, but maybe they didn't express their love, withdrawn, indifferent, uncaring. I know a lot of uh, Asians who grew up, uh, that was a kind of upbringing community that we were raised in. I'm not here to tell you that our church here at Renewal is perfect in any way. We're flawed. We're far from anything that uh, the Bible portrays here. But we still hang in there. We're still here together because we have a reason to have hope. We don't have to give up on each other. We don't have to lose faith in what our community could be because we have a perfect Savior who had mercy on every last one of us. 
no matter how flawed we are, no matter how blind we are to the things that mess us up, he brought us into his family together. And the free salvation we have in him gives us reason to believe that a broken people can not only coexist but truly thrive. We can be strong, become better people in the truest sense, not by ourselves, but as we help and reach out to one another. When you put your faith in Christ, you receive his perfect love. You are his forevermore. There's nothing more you need to do to justify your existence. You don't need to seek out validation by hiding the things that you're ashamed of. You can be open, and yet you can allow people to help you to change and grow. You don't have to be controlled by fear or what other people think of you. You can truly selflessly want what's best for everybody, and that's what causes you to act, to speak. If this is us, maybe we are Christian, and it's just so hard to trust people in community. Uh, there's been nothing but bad experiences. Can we just look to Christ today and find hope again and be reminded by his words, just what the gospel communicates to us right from the beginning, that we're all a work in progress and we're in this together. We have to help each other until we go home and we're going to be perfect forever. All it takes is a simple step of recommitting ourselves to Christ in faith once more. You know, without Jesus who rose again and reigns in us, we have no hope. We might as well just run away from each other and hide. But he is alive. He is living inside us. He is indwelling us. That's why we don't have to. We can boldly love one another and not be afraid for anything. So let's find strength in that. And finally, how do we practically exhort, build each other up? I can't stress enough. Prayer, we need to pray. Uh, we can't do anything in any way to minister, to build up the church, to help fellow brothers and sisters grow, we need God's heart for one another. So without prayer, without God working in us, instilling in us in his love, we just get sick of each other. We, just, we have conversation here and there. Things will go well for a while. We backslide. We just go sick and tired of it. And without being rooted in Christ, we'll so easily give up. Pray for love. We pray for humility. We stay in his word as we pray. We love God more. We become more like him and we hate the sin that he does as he lays it out for us in his word. We hate to see the sin destroying the lives of the people we love around us. We want to do all we can to help them get rid of it. So we might see it, whether it's in your community, your family, your neighbor, or people, people around you. And God stirs your heart to say, maybe this is something I need to speak to them about. Uh, I think the first thing we can discern is why we're bothered because it's so easy uh, to uh, maybe uh, misunderstand why we want to speak the truth. You know? uh, that's why I always ask somebody if I, felt, I feel led to uh, address something, a sin issue in a brother or sister, I always just make sure with someone in confidence, hey, is this just me being critical because I'm annoyed and bothered or is this a real sin to address? And I get confirmation and then we go back and pray. Because our aim at the end of the day is to win this person over so that they overcome that sin, uh, flee from it, put it to death, and grow in godliness. And pray even more because even before uh, you, you have that conversation, uh, it's impossible to do without love and humility. And we speak, uh, we point out the sin, not in a way to demean or make them feel bad because sometimes in anger that's what we want to do because we feel some sort of victory, moral victory when we 
uh, make others feel bad for what they've done, especially if they've hurt us. We can't do that. We need to speak for Christ to bring them to a humble repentance. And a word to those who are being admonished and reproved, don't be afraid. Once the words have been spoken to you in love, take it to heart. If you're initially offended, uh, you might be tempted to fight back and point out their sin. It happens all the time. But I say fight that temptation. There might be another time and place for the other person's sin, but in this moment, God is, point, is shedding light on your heart. Put your pride away. Put your anger away. Receive it in humility. Go home. Reflect on it. Maybe read the Bible just to confirm that what was said is in line with God's will for you. And if so, go to God in prayer. Use it as an opportunity to turn from that sin and grow. It's a blessing to have your sin pointed out so that you can put it to death. Sin thrives in the dark. And if a friend cares enough to turn on the light, take it as a blessing. Flee from it. And finally, for those who have been able to successfully speak the truth in love, I know it feels like you've done a good thing. Galatians 6.1 says, keep watch on yourself. Check yourself, lest you be tempted. Stay humble. We all need the grace of God. Keep your guard up. Stay vigilant. If God sends someone to speak to you, you let them. They'll help you just as you did for somebody else. And there's so much more at stake. Um, I think you can actually just look at James 5 again, our original passage. James 5, uh, uh, 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's so much more at stake here than solving someone's problems in trying to build a nice community. It's talking about souls that if not uh, brought back from their wandering, they will be marching themselves straight towards hell. And if God is raising you up, it's because he wants you to do it. Yeah, God can use anybody. But I always think about that. It's like, God, why me? Why am I the only one to see this sin in this person's life? Does nobody else see it? You know, it seems like everyone else is okay. But in that moment is because God perhaps is raising you up to be the voice of his truth in that situation. It's an opportunity to be used by God, and it's a privilege. He wants to be you to be the one to speak. He's appointed you for that task. And if you're able to do that, James 5.20 says, you are saving their soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. What is that? That's the work of Christ. We're sharing in his saving work. We're instruments for his salvation. It's what he wants us to do. Friends, is that happening here at Renewal Mainline? My prayer is that it will, and it will happen more and more. Where things like this, where loving acts and deeds like this is what makes this church tighter, more trusting in each other. There's a deeper love uh, because we know uh, the worst things about each other, yet there's grace, forgiveness, and a love that causes us to point each other to Christ and to repentance. 
You know, God loves us, all of us, in this way. All you have to do is read Luke 15 to remember that. Christ is like the shepherd that went after the one sheep out of a hundred who strayed. In rebellion, in sin, and wandering, the love of Jesus was strengthened. He was perfectly patient and died on our behalf. You know, church community is a gift to us. We take it for granted so many days. You know, um, friends who are on missions overseas, I know people who um, leave Philly and uh, they look for churches ac- across the world. It, it always, a lot of the struggle is just finding a community where they feel cared for in a way. And a lot of the things they miss is just a place where they can be real and people can receive feedback for the way they're living their lives. And is that something that we are taking for granted and what's available to us as we're sitting here today? Community is a gift. It is a precious gift. Let's treasure it. Let's be good stewards of it. And let's make the most of it. More than just looking to have as much fun as possible, making as many memories as we can, more than just looking for help when we need it, Let's join hands and grow and edify one another, become more like Christ together so that all of our joy and peace in Christ can abound. And that's something we see and we experience together. You know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his uh, uh, writing Life Together, um, brings this up for us. And I'll close with uh, just a few quotes here. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. Reproof is unavailable, unavoidable, I'm sorry, unavoidable. God's word demands uh, it when a brother or sister falls into open sin. The practice of discipline in the congregation begins in the smallest circles. Where defection from God's word and doctrine or life imperils the family fellowship and with it the whole congregation, the word of admonition and rebuke must be ventured, right? We need to be provoked. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother or sister back from the path of sin. It is a ministry of mercy, an ultimate offer of genuine fellowship when we allow nothing but God's word to stand between us. God has put his word in our mouth. He wants it to be spoken through us. If we hinder his word, the blood of the sinning brother will be upon us. If we carry out his word, God will save our brother through us. And friends, we find our confidence in the gospel. We find security, power to go to others in love, risking the discomfort and potential humiliation and pain of having to do that. But let's open our hearts to the truth to speak it and to receive it. Let's grow together in holiness for the glory of God. One day we will be like him and with him forevermore. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? We can reflect on these things. Uh, We can look to our Lord who makes all these things possible for us. You know, friends, this is not an easy teaching. But as we look at what we are all about as a church, we can make a big deal about and we can pay lip service to being a community centered on the gospel. And that sounds really good. It sounds really, really good. Being unconditionally accepting of one another, that's great. Yeah, like uh, uh, no matter what teams we root for, no matter what, what we believe, what we, um, what, what we, how we were raised, where we're from in this world, yes. But it's so much more than that. 
It's so much more than just being able to put up with each other, sing songs together, and to sit in a circle together and agree on things. If we're not truly growing together and helping each other to grow, then what's the point? What's the difference uh, between uh, interacting with people outside of the church and living in true gospel-centered community? Are you growing with your friends as you see your community group meeting week after week? This is not to put pressure on the leaders or to make you feel guilty, but something to really assess. Can you really genuinely say as God is actively at work in allowing you with one heart as one body to progressively look more like Christ? You see that your brother and sister, oh, they're growing in love. They're, they're a lot more like Jesus than when this uh, calendar year started. Oh, I see them uh, being more merciful seeing them being less ashamed of the gospel at work as they're talking about. I see them more and more uh, controlling their anger and temper uh, to their husband, their wife, and their kids. And that's good because I'm growing that way too. We're growing together. And I'm just ignoring the fact that my brothers and sisters around me need Jesus as much as I do. If I'm going to learn something, if I'm going to overcome sin in my flesh, I want to help my brother and sister the same way. And I can't be silent. I can't sit back and watch sin run rampant in people that I love and treasure. At least I say I do. We need the love of God. We need prayer. We need God's help. We need to overcome fear. We need inner strength. We need some toughness. Whether we're on the giving or the receiving end of that truth. Friends, would you join me to look to Jesus, look to the gospel?